Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. All right, well, welcome. We are uh, in the midst of our Upward Journey series, and this is the, over the next seven or eight weeks, we're going to be looking at a number of the characteristics or the attributes of God. Last week, Cameron talked about the, the justice of God, and that was amazing. I encourage you, if you missed it, you can tune in to the, uh, the sermons. They're all archived on the newdaycommunity.org website. So you can go and listen to any sermon that you missed there, or if you just want to listen back again. Um, and so that was great. The week before, Kathy talked about the mercy of God. I heard that was great. And we have a bunch of great characteristics coming up. God's omnipotence and his omniscience, his faithfulness, his love, his righteousness. And so, spoiler, I just said it. We are going to be talking about God's faithfulness today. I'm really, really excited. This was a, it was a little bit challenging as I prepared this message. Um, but man, I'm really excited about what uh, I feel like God has put on my heart for today. And so what is faithfulness? Faithfulness is being true to one's word, right? It is uh, being true to one's promises. Uh, faithfulness is also being steady in allegiance. It's being steady in our affection. Uh, faithfulness is, is loyalty. And when we look for friends or co-workers or a, a spouse, anybody that we want to or need to rely on, right, we are looking for somebody that is faithful. When Amber and I met, we were both working at Little Caesars, and uh, we had both been working there approximately the, the same amount of time, and an opening came up for a shift manager position. And I was pretty confident that God, that God, <laughs> uh, <laughs> overly confident, I was pretty confident that I was going to get the position, not God. He had a bigger, he had a better position. Uh, anyway, forget it. so I was pretty confident that I was going get to that, get that position. Um, and so it, I was incredibly surprised when my manager came and said, we're giving that position to Amber. I'm like, what are you talking about? That is, that is ridiculous, right? And so in my shock, I go to my manager and go, why would you, why would you think that is a better idea to give Amber this position than, than me? And he said uh, something along the lines of, well, it's because Amber is committed and Amber is diligent and Amber is passionate about seeing little Caesars succeed, I'm like, okay, that may be true, but why do you think that I don't have those same characteristics? He's like, well, the reason is, Mark, is because Amber always shows up on time. Right? Amber is willing to stay late. Amber is willing to pick up shifts if, that, if it needs to happen. Amber never cuts corners. She is diligent. I'm like, yeah? And he's like, Mark, when things get busy, when things get crazy around here, you have a tendency to throw your hands up in the air and go, well, it's only pizza. And, and apparently they were looking for something else than, than that. I, I thought it showed a nonchalance. I don't know. But, but Amber, oh, that was the problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Amber had proven, right, through her actions that she was going to be faithful 
to that job. And so they said, that is what we want in this position, is somebody who is faithful. And eventually, either because of Little Caesar's desperation or my maturity, I like to think it's the latter, I actually got not just a shift manager job, not just an assistant manager job, but my very own store. Yeah, and so Amber and I were each managing our own uh, Little Caesar's restaurants, and we were each pulling down 18G a year. And uh, <laughs> life, was, life was pretty good. <laughs> So, so we had thought. Yeah, and so, and as a, as a manager, right, you learn that your favorite employees aren't necessarily the ones who are best at customer service. They're not necessarily the ones who are the quickest or the most I- I- efficient uh, at pie board or landing. That's making the pizzas and taking them out of the oven, respectively. All right, uh, it's, but the, your favorite employee is that person who shows up. Right? I love those people. The people who, when they're scheduled for a shift, they came in and did it. You know, those were my favorite people. In the same way, when Amber and I were overseeing children's ministry, our favorite teachers were the ones that would come to church and, <laughs> and not call us on Saturday night. <laughs> uh, and so, because I think it was Woody Allen that said 80% of life is just showing up. Right? And so, we are looking for people to be faithful. That's what we want in our friends and our spouses and our co-workers because you cannot be a good teacher or a good friend or a good employee or a good parent or a spouse if you aren't faithful, if you aren't showing up, right? And while human beings, because of our, our sin, they might let us down, right? We might act unfaithfully. The truth is that God never has and never will be unfaithful. He is unrelentingly faithful. He is unwavering in his allegiance to us. He is unwavering in his his affection towards us. And because faithfulness is one of God's perfections, one of his characteristics, he can be no other way. It is impossible for God to be unfaithful unfaithful. And so, because of that, we can stand firm. We can trust that he is going to do what he says he's going to do. And so I want to take a a minute here at the the beginning and just look at a couple of times that the Bible speaks of God's faithfulness to his people. One in the Old Testament, and then we'll do one in the, the New Testament. So in the story of the Old Testament, God has committed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's promised to make them into a great nation. He's promised to bless the whole world through their descendants. And in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is, um, he is recounting all that God has done. He's recounting all that God has said to the, the Israelites, and he's kind of recounting the the faithfulness of God before he dies and before the Israelites go and take possession of the promised land which God had called them to take. And so here in Deuteronomy 7, he tells of the faithfulness of God in rescuing them from Egypt. I got this here. Though the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
We see that the Lord kept his oath to their forefathers. And then in verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. He is the faithful God. He keeps his commandment, right? He kept the oath that he swore. God is faithful. And then if we jump forward in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy, who is this young guy who Paul's raising up to be a pastor. And he, so he's writing him, and he's encouraging Timothy to be strong in his leadership, to keep running the race, to, to fight the, the good fight, to remember all that Paul had taught him. And then as we move through chapter 2, Paul uh, says that you, Timothy, you are going to suffer. That's not very nice. That's not very fun. Not very encouraging. Paul says, Timothy, you are going to suffer just like I'm suffering. And as Paul writes this, he is bound. He is in chains. He is in prison. Probably expecting death at any moment. And he says, Timothy, you're going to suffer just like I am suffering. But you should and you can endure. And he ends the chapter with this amazing statement. He says, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. So keep it up. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Finish the race well. If we disown him, he will also disown us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot disown himself. So it doesn't matter what you do. God will always be faithful. Because God is always faithful. For God to be unfaithful would be to act contrary to his nature. And that is impossible. Then finally, in the book of Isaiah, the, the prophet is talking about the, the, the coming Messiah who Israel is waiting for. And we now know that uh, it, Isaiah was talking about Jesus Christ. And in describing this coming Messiah, he says this in chapter 11, verse 5, Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And so Jesus, our Messiah, the perfect representation of the Father, one of his defining characteristics is going to be faithfulness. And so that's what we want to look at today. We want to look at a story of Jesus' faithfulness. We're going to uh, take some time uh, looking at this story of Peter. This takes place uh, near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, right before he goes to the cross. And it is a, a story that reveals Jesus' unwavering faithfulness in the face of unfaithfulness. And so you can turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 26. We also have it up here. We're going to start in verse 31. And we're going to pick up the story at the Last Supper. This is the, the final meal that Jesus is eating with his disciples before being arrested. And he says this in verse 31. This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, 
Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. And so in this moment of confidence and bravado, Peter and the rest of the disciples, they're not worried at all. We got this. We got your back, Jesus. Don't worry. No matter what, we're with you. And so then Jesus and the disciples go to a garden to pray, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the garden, Jesus is arrested. He's drug off to the the high priest's house to be judged by the leaders of the Jews. And after scattering with the rest of the disciples, Peter follows along into the courtyard of the high priest, and he waits to see how this whole thing plays out. And so we're going to jump to verse uh, 69 here. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before all of them. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where there was another servant girl who saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. But he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Now, as we learned earlier in the the book of Matthew, um, Peter was a, a sailor and a fisherman, so I imagine he knew some pretty good curses. And I, when I was preparing this message, I said, Amber, wouldn't it be great if I just started swearing during this part of the of the story. And she said, no, that would not be great. <laughs> and uh, so, but, I, but it would be funny if there's like something, some way to beep it or something. Anyway, so, but, so Peter calls down curses. I bleep and bleep, 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 don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crows, right? And then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Can you imagine the the guilt and the shame that that Peter would have felt at that moment? After his bravado uh, in declaring, you know, that he was willing to die with Jesus, this little servant girl comes up to him and he's scared and says, I don't even know him, completely denies knowing Jesus. He must have felt like this is the end. It's all, it's all over. I messed it all up. And I must say, I can identify with, with Peter in this moment. You know, there's been times where I've been unfaithful. You know, there's been times where I wanted to do what was right, and yet, because of fear or whatever, didn't. But luckily for us, Luckily for me, this is not the end of the story. And the Gospel of John records this amazing encounter between Jesus and Peter after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And so you can turn with me, if you will, to John 21, starting in verse 15. And so they're, they're on a beach. They've just eaten dinner. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Then he said to him, follow me. And if we look at the, the beginning of, of Matthew in Matthew chapter 4, in, when Jesus calls Peter the, the first time, he calls him to, to leave his fishing business, to, to leave his nets, and he says, Peter, come and follow me. And so here Jesus reinstates Peter with the very same call. Says, Peter, it's not too late. You haven't thrown it all away. Come and follow me. And this is an incredible story. Right? We see Jesus giving grace to a, a truly undeserving Peter who had rejected him maybe in his time of, of greatest need. But Jesus welcomes him back. But I want to turn, if you will, with me to another uh, gospel story in Luke, the gospel of Luke chapter 22. Um, this is um, Luke's account of the Last Supper. All right, this is Luke's account of when Jesus said that somebody is going to betray him and Peter and the other disciples say, no way, we will never ever do that. And Jesus says this. He says, I got it right here. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And as I was preparing for this, as I was looking through the story of, of, of Peter, I came upon this, this passage, even though I decided not to use Luke as my text, because this is incredible. Jesus is talking to, to Simon and, and the guys, and he, he says this, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you, right? This is the, the, the Greek plural you, all of you, all of the disciples, Satan has asked to crush you, to persecute you, to, to get you to, to run away, whatever, right? But I, Jesus says, I have prayed for you, Simon. He didn't say, I prayed for all of you guys. I prayed for Timothy, and I prayed for Matthew, and I prayed for John. No, he says, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And Jesus knows what is about to happen. Jesus knows that, that Peter is going to deny him. Right? But he says, I, I'm praying that your faith won't fail. And I believe that Jesus has powerful prayers. Right? I pray that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus prays for Simon, knowing what Simon is going to do. But in the, in the midst of this, he makes a promise. He makes a commitment to restore him and to use him to strengthen the rest of his disciples. You see, for Jesus, it seems like that Jesus is saying, our faithfulness is finishing the race. 
Our faithfulness isn't determined just because we maybe stumble and fall, right? That doesn't deny that you have faith, but get up and keep running the race. Because even though Simon stumbled and denied Jesus and was unfaithful, didn't trust in God, he was restored. And he came back and he, and he encouraged all the rest of the disciples. He has encouraged each, one, each and every one of us. Today is uh, Pentecost Sunday, so I, thought, so I thought I would mention Pentecost. Actually, it just worked out. I forgot. Um, but in Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter is the one, uh, after the Holy Spirit falls on, on, on Pentecost, he goes out and boldly declares the risen Jesus to the very people who he was scared of, who had murdered Jesus just a few weeks before. He had come back. He had been restored. Jesus was faithful to restore him. He said, your failures do not define you, Peter. And so Jesus was faithful to his promises. But God has also promised us something. He's probably promised all of us a lot of things. And when I was in in Mexico, uh, we were with a number of PIH pastors, and one of the pastors we were with, her name was Renee Grahusky, and her and her husband, Ron, pastor a church up in Ishpeming, a PIH church, and they are an amazing couple. They're leading a great ministry up there, and she told this story of when they were newly saved, when they're young in the faith, they got this prophetic word, right? They got this prophetic word that their marriage was going to be an example to other marriages. And as Renee told the the story, she kind of laughed at that because she said that our marriage was in no place to be an example to anyone. And so they uh, kind of take that prophetic word and stick a pin in it, and they're going about their daily lives. One morning, Ron is getting ready for work, and they get in an argument, and he heads off to work. And 15 or 20 minutes later, the phone rings. And, uh, excuse me, and the, uh, the person on the, the other line, on the other end of the phone says, Renee, there's been a terrible accident. Ron is dead. And she couldn't believe it. She falls down on her knees and, and begins praying, saying, God, restore him. God, heal him. God, bring him back. And then she starts, she remembers this promise that God had made, that your marriage would be an example to others. And she holds on to that promise, and she says, God, you told me that our marriage was going to be an example. God, and you can't let him die now because we haven't fulfilled that promise yet. God, you promised. And as she prayed, as she cried out for God to come, and Ron was healed. He survived. And if you talk to Renee, she is convinced that he came back to life in in response to her calling out and praying and holding on to the promises of God. So what promises has God made to you? There's a bunch of promises that God has given us in his word that we're going to talk about in a second. But just let's take a moment to, to think about what promises and has God given to you prophetically? What has he spoken into your life? 
I know that I grew up, you know, in, in a church like this, that we believe in hearing God's voice, and we believe in the, the prophetic. We have the, the Rhema team who's been trained to, to hear from God and speak words of encouragement and words of life into people's, uh, in, to, to people. And, and I'm, I got so used to it that somebody would come up and give me a prophetic word, and I'd just be like, all right, go, cool, thanks so much, it's really encouraging, and I would just go, go on my way and forget about it. But as Renee told this story, I realized the, the power of, of believing in the promises of God. In the, in the midst of life that can be difficult and messy and, and unstable and we can't quite figure out what's happening, we can hold on to the promises of God. Right? And so now I've got a, a document that, uh, that I've written out every prophetic word that I could find, every prophetic word that somebody gives me. Chris came up and gave me a prophetic word during communion. It's on my document right now. Because I'm, I'm not going to let go of those things. And some of them might not be God, right? But, it's the, but I'm going to hold on to it. I believe that God is still speaking. And so I look for themes. I look for things that God has spoken multiple times. I've taken them to Pastor Cameron and go, Hey, man, what, I don't know about this. What do you think? And sometimes he'll be like, That's it, man. That's really good. Hold on to that one. Go for it. And sometimes he'll be like, No, no, stick a pin in that one. We'll see. Right? But... If God is speaking, we can hold on to those promises because he is faithful to fulfill what he says he's going to do. And so what has God promised you? What prophetic words has he spoken over your life? But outside of the, the prophetic word, we also have many, many incredible promises that he has given us in his, in his word, in, in the Bible. He has promised to be faithful to, to bring us salvation, to bring us eternal life. He is faithful to forgive us if we repent of our sins. He is faithful, he has promised to fill us with the Holy Spirit. He has promised us provision. He has promised to meet our day-to-day needs. He has promised to be our healing, our wisdom, our peace. He has promised to help us overcome temptation. He has promised to protect us. He has promised to be intimate with us, to to be closer to us than a brother. And he has ultimately promised, right, to end suffering. And we need to hold firmly to these promises, Knowing that God is faithful in that each one of those things that we can find that the scripture reveals that he's promised to do for us, he is going to do it. And so we should declare them. We should believe them. We should hold fast to each and every one. And so God is faithful. He will always be faithful. He's so good and, and we can rest in that knowledge. But I would be remiss if I didn't uh, mention my own struggle with holding on to the faithfulness of God. I, I just, I think it's important for people up front to say, hey, guess what? We all struggle. We all have to wrestle through doubts. We all wrestle through difficulties, and it doesn't mean that you're unfaithful. It doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian. It probably means that you're thinking. Hallelujah. And so the reality is, right, there's times that I feel God is not being faithful. 
right? Or at least that he's not being faithful in the way that I want him to be faithful. A number of years ago, my father-in-law Um, a number of years ago, my father-in-law died of cancer. And we were so expectant. We are so believing that God was going to, to heal him that it felt like a punch in the gut when he died. I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't figure it out. And I know that there's many people here today, there's many people uh, that we know that are struggling with pain or sickness or disease in their bodies. They're struggling with re- relationships that are dysfunctional, that are struggling financially and in numbers and different ways. Right? We know that there are Christians all over the world that are being persecuted. They're being martyred for their faith. And so how do we hold on to, to God's faithfulness in the face of difficulty? How do we hold on to God's faithfulness in the midst of suffering and pain? How do we trust God when we feel like he is being unfaithful? And so this is not the whole story. This is just three things that I, as I have grappled with, with this question that have been helpful for me. And first... We cannot allow our experience to trump the word of God for what we believe. Right? We cannot allow our experience to trump the word of God for our beliefs. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You know, this is a, can be a tough passage. is isn't altogether satisfying sometimes. But we have to understand that our perspective is very finite, right? Our perspective on what is happening globally and cosmically is very limited. You know, we don't understand what God is up to all the time. We don't understand how God's providence and humanity's free will work together. But we can trust in what God has revealed about himself. We can trust who God has shown himself to be on the grand scale. Though we might wish that certain smaller details were different. God has proven that he is faithful. He sent Jesus to die on the cross to restore us. He has fulfilled every promise. And as we wrestle with this, this idea that God's ways are not our ways, and so sometimes we don't really understand what he's up to, we have to remember that God does not cause bad things to happen. That's right. All right, God is never, ever, ever the author of evil. He feels our pain. He is with us in the midst of it. And I know that one of the most helpful things for Amber is she's struggling with this, with her, her dad's passing was this realization that as she's weeping, that Jesus is right there with her, that he's weeping too, that he feels the pain of that loss. God is not indifferent or uncaring about death. 
He's not like, don't worry, I took care of that, right? His creation was never supposed to endure it. So he hates death. And so that is why he sent Jesus to deal with death once and for all, to throw Satan into the lake of fire, to redeem us and to bring us into a, a, a realm, into a new kingdom where there will be no tears, there will be no suffering, where everything that Satan has tried to steal from us will be restored. We have to trust God. So first, don't let your experience trump the word of God. Second, we should never be surprised by suffering and trials. Our Savior did not say, trust in me, everything is going to be great. That would have been nice. (laughs) Actually, Jesus told his followers this in John 16. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. And trouble there in in the Greek means trouble that inflicts distress. Here's here's another promise we can hold on to. In this world, (laughs) you will have trouble. (laughs) You will have affliction. You will have oppression. But take heart, he says. For I have overcome the world. We can remember and we must remember that what we see and experience in this life is not the end of the story. Jesus has overcome and our hope is not in the here and now, today. Our hope is in eternal life with Jesus. We can hold on to hope that Jesus is coming back and he's going to set everything right again. He is going to completely and finally defeat sin and Satan, and death. What we see is not the end of the story. So don't be surprised by suffering. Don't be surprised by pain and difficulty. It in no way invalidates God's faithfulness. God is faithful all the time. Even Jesus suffered. Paul, the the apostle, the, the man who wrote most of the New Testament, suffered. Peter, who we just told the story about, suffered, was martyred. And in one of his letters, Peter, he's talking about the the eternal hope of salvation found in Jesus Christ. And it's kind of this beautiful um, passage where, you know, he's talking about eternal life and hope. And he says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So here Peter says that suffering is a a testing by fire, is a a proving process. And those who go through it demonstrate the genuineness of their faith in God's faithfulness. And so faith in the midst of difficulty, according to Peter, is going to result in praise and honor when Christ returns. Right? And so that's number two. Don't be surprised by suffering. It doesn't invalidate God's faithfulness. He will see us through. He will never abandon us. 
And third, we have to hold suffering and the, the faithfulness of God in this tension of a life in the kingdom now and not yet fully realized. Right? We are in the kingdom. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, have been transported from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But we still live in a fallen world. You know, when I woke up this morning, the first thing I saw in my newsfeed was the, the terror attacks in London. Unbelievable. It's not hard to miss, right? That, or it is hard to miss, that's what I meant, that we live in a fallen world. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that Satan is still the God of this world. And then Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So while we have to endure some suffering and some difficulty in this life, we know that we are going somewhere where, where Satan can't come anywhere near us. He's going to be destroyed, thrown into the lake of fire. So God is faithful. God is our protector. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't need to fear any evil. He doesn't say he's going to take us around the valley, but he's going to be with us every step of the way. And we can hold on to his faithfulness. We can trust in his love. We can trust that he is never going to abandon us. And we can trust that he is going to restore everything to the way it's supposed to be. He's going to see us through. So will you stand with me and we'll just close in prayer. Father God, we thank you that you are unwaveringly faithful. Lord, and we just choose to stand on that truth. Lord, I just pray for each one of us that may be struggling with, with trusting you with some situation right now, God. Even as we don't understand and we wish that it would be different, God, we just choose right now to stand in your faithfulness and say we trust you. As the winds blow, as the, as the waves crash into us, as it seems like everything around us falls, Lord, we choose to trust you because you are unwaveringly faithful. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yeah, so God, we just pray for just your, your love and your mercy just to pour on each person here right now, God. Lord, bring hope where there's hopelessness. Bring peace where there is worry and doubt. Bring strength where people feel weak and incapable. Lord, show 
your strong hand in every person's life today, in every need, in every moment. We love you. We trust you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.